welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. everyone and welcome to Turn the Page. I am your host today, Jen, and I am joined by a fantastic and brilliant researcher and writer whose work I am so excited to discuss. So let's get right into it. Hi, can I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I'm Dr. Nzinga Harrison. I'm a physician. My specialties are psychiatry and addiction medicine. Um, and the book is called Unaddiction. Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. It truly was mind-changing for me. I think it really prepared me to understand not only some friends and family a lot better and to have more Mm -hmm. compassion and also just my own relationships to all sorts of things and how we interact with things in our lives. Um, So could we talk a little bit before we get too into it um, about your career and how it led you to this book, perhaps? Yeah, I'll actually start a little bit before my career. So I decided to be a doctor really young, like five or six years old. Um, The only doctor I knew at that time was a pediatrician. And then 12 years old, I met my surgeon, luckily didn't have to have surgery, but he he was like exactly the kind of doctor that I thought I would want to be. And I decided to be a surgeon. And then when I went to medical school, I did my psychiatry rotation and I was like, what in the world? the way we treat people with mental health conditions and addiction, I was like, this is not acceptable. And so it was really my third year of medical school where I developed the passion and realized like, I'm going to be an addiction psychiatrist. Um, And now that I'm a psychiatrist, much like I asked people in the book to look back at their childhood and look back at my childhood. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I have so much addiction on both sides, mom and dad so many people with mental health conditions, I was probably destined to be an addiction psychiatrist. Wow. Yeah, it really, um, there's so much in it that speaks to, I think, really changing the way that we look at our entire lives, you know, and sort of Mm -hmm. how we relate to various substances or, I don't know, TV, media, things like that. Um, And so could you explain for our listeners, what is um, this new framework that you are proposing for understanding addiction? Yeah, so you can think of it in six buckets, um, and it's really three buckets repeated twice. So the three buckets are the buckets that we look at for any chronic medical condition. And so that's the first thing I'm asking your listeners to um, think about differently is drug use. Yes, is a choice. Addiction is a chronic illness. And so when we look at a chronic illness, there are biological reasons, there are psychological reasons, and there are environmental reasons that an illness develops. And environmental is your physical environment, but like you mentioned, media is also our cultural environment. And so this book is in six sections, and it is, what were you born into biologically? So we know 40 to 60% of our risk for developing addiction is coded in our DNA the day we're born. What were you born into psychologically? So as a child, what was it like when you were growing up? Who were the people who were around? What were the experiences that you had? Environmentally, what were you born into? And then now, and and how does each of those contribute to your risk for developing the illness of addiction? And now that you're an adult, repeat those same three. 
biologically, psychologically, environmentally, what are the risk factors? And then if you can get that detailed profile on yourself, you start to be empowered with what you can do about it. Mm. It really is. You know, I had heard before that addiction ought to be seen as a chronic illness rather than a moral failing, which is something that you say in the book as well. And I think I understood that on a superficial level, but until you broke it down that way and you really showed that the experience is shaped the same way that any chronic illness is shaped, it absolutely, it made a theoretical kind of compassion much more tangible and, um, uh, you know, accessible, if that makes sense, you know? <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I was hoping to do because it's like, okay, here's another doctor writing another book, right? Mm -hmm. And what I really wanted to be was like, you can see yourself in this book. You can see someone you care about in this book. And it's not just theory. This is real life. So when I tell you that your risk for developing addiction coded in your DNA is higher than your risk for developing high blood pressure is coded in your DNA, that's real, right? When I tell you if your ACEs score, adverse childhood experiences is four more, predicts your health in adulthood, that's not theoretical, that's real. So I love that that's the experience you had with the book. Right. And, you know, I think it's also very emblematic of something I think the book does beautifully, which is it balances a lot of difficult truths, um, mm -hmm. like we're just talking about the way our childhoods and our environments affect mm -hmm. us forward. But it's also full of a lot of hope. But I was so taken with the statistic of 75% of people who have used substances are in recovery. That's an amazing fact to me. And do you think like that sort of careful balance that, that balancing the, the pragmatic hard truth with the hopefulness, is that also, do you think key to the recovery process as well as sort of like your, your work as a addiction scientist or? 100% absolutely critical because there is actually literature that shows us if a person has an illness for which they do not believe they can get better, they suffer more. And if a person has an illness from which we don't believe they can get better, we're less inclined to be motivated to help. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important. There is this belief overwhelmingly in America, people do not believe that addiction is treatable when 75% of people with addiction are in recovery or currently in the process of recovering. And so that's 3X. 75 is three times 25, right? So you have a better chance. But if you understand your six buckets, and if you get to your formula from those six buckets, you increase your chance that you're in that 75%. And maybe we increase that 75% to even more. Mm. So, you know, something that really struck me as I was reading is that, you know, we've talked about the sort of misunderstanding of addiction and the new model that you are proposing. Um, and you talk about the ways in which the previous misunderstanding has sort of set up both individuals and systems for failure when it yeah. comes to helping ourselves or helping each other dealing with addiction. And so for you, like, what do you think a better, more responsive, more compassionate system might look like? Ooh, so I think it starts with compassion. We have to make it safe for me to ask myself, is this alcohol a problem? Is this marijuana a problem? We have to make it safe to ask ourselves that question 
And then we have to empower people with what to do if that answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And we have to make it safe for people to say to someone else and ask someone else for help. And so in this book, there are literally scripts. How do you have that conversation with yourself? How do you have that conversation with a family member? How do you ha- that you're concerned about? How do you have it with a friend? Mm-hmm. How do you have it with your children? So like my DNA, I gave that to the kids, right? I have two sons. They're 17, 18. We started having this conversation when they were four. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I laid out like, here's a script for your toddler. Here's a script for your elementary, middle, high school person. Because if we can just change the approach from judgmental and stigma laden, and you should have made a better choice. And if you had just, right, should have, that keeps people from being able to take the risk of asking for help. And when you don't ask for help, that lump you found in your breast turns into stage four metastatic cancer. And it's much harder to intervene when we're at stage four. So how do we recognize the lump? And like Susan G. Komen, football players, NFL wearing pink in October, Mm -hmm. bike rides, marathons, breast cancer survivors wearing their shirts, pink ribbons, All of that serves to make it safe for a woman to say, I think I might have a lump. Mm. And so how do we do that for addiction? Mm. Oh, my gosh. I I love that question. And I really love all of the possibilities that it opens up. Um, Something that you talk a lot about in the book is connection and how... Mm. Connection is actually the opposite of addiction as opposed to like, I think many people would probably say like sobriety is the, you know. Uh Uh So can you talk about that role that a a connection plays and perhaps like how that relates to shame? Because I think a lot of what you were just talking about is like the shame associated with all of these things. And like, does connection help to eliminate that shame? Like, what is the role here? Yes. So. Matt Bell is a person in long-time recovery. I don't know him, but I saw his quote and I've been using it everywhere. So I just try to say his name. Um, Addiction is the epitome of disconnection. And so recovery is reconnection. Addiction is a disease of loneliness because we don't understand it and because we ostracize people who have it. Deaths from addiction are deaths of despair. And so if you look at the dopamine pathway, I'm going to get like super doctory for just a second. The dopamine (laughs) pathway is the pathway in our brain we share with all animals. It tells us what we need to survive. The natural things that give us a dopamine signal are food, water, sex, and nurturing. Unfortunately, drugs give us a dopamine signal that is like literally a billion times bigger than food, water, sex, and nurturing. And so your brain interprets that just purely chemically as You need this drug to survive more than you need anything else in your life. And so it begins to disconnect you. The symptoms of addiction are devastating. You become disconnected from your friends, disconnected from your family, disconnected from your support system, disconnected from your sense of self, and you're untethered. And so we're pack animals. What happens to an animal when it gets kicked out of the pack? It slinks off and it dies. And so connection is not just the opposite of addiction. It's the opposite of health. It's the opposite of thriving. It's the opposite of fulfillment. And so when people are struggling, the more we can connect, the more we can pour compassion, the more we can understand, 
the faster we can heal. Mm, that makes so much sense to me. And it really reminds me, I think of, you know, a way the way that a lot of us were operating in the early pandemic, you know, like I was desperate for distractions of any kind. And I would mm-hmm. notice that like anytime I had an idle moment or my brain started to wander, I'd pick up the phone and go to Twitter mm-hmm. or to TikTok, what have you. And I, you know, reading your book, I realized like, oh yeah, that was, those are moments of disconnection. I am disconnecting from the present, from myself and the feelings I'm having. And that really allowed me to, I think, reevaluate a lot of relationships in my life. Um, yeah. Do you feel like, um, the age that we live in makes this a more um, urgent issue? Because disconnection, I think, is a huge issue in our modern society. Agree so much. And so um, we're more connected than ever by technology, but we're actually less connected than ever in real life. And so you used to go to your neighbor's house and ask for sugar when you ran out. Now you call Instacart. You used to carpool. Now you send the kids by Uber. You used to write. And so we used to actually just like all be walking together. And now we got individual cars. And so in so many ways, we've set up a system that disconnects us from each other. And I love what you said about the loneliness in the pandemic. The pandemic skyrocketed drug use. Um, And it's because loneliness is an existential threat as far as our brain is concerned. Loneliness pings your dopamine pathway, like figure out how not to die. And there are a lot of things that can give you a dopamine signal. And so in this time where we are very disconnected, we need to find ways to connect. And we can use technology to do that. We can do it in real life. But like you said, I love that you develop that awareness because we talk about this in the book. It's like, what is the early warning sign? Because if you had addiction to a substance, you could have easily been picking up that substance instead of picking up TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's it's humbling in a way, you know, because I think that when people judge people who experience uh, substance use disorders, they are sort of positing a kind of moral superiority. And I think when you realize that we've all come probably super close to it, if not stepped over that line at various times, I think it makes it more relatable and accessible and like harder to judge. I think, you know, I love that you said that because judging and shame, like you mentioned earlier and stigma, those are like the three massive tools for disconnecting people, but it's also a safety measure. Addiction is a scary illness. And the idea that I might have it can be so scary that it's easier to say like, no, that's everybody else. That's not me. When in reality, 46% of Americans know someone who are living with or who have lived with addiction. That's everybody. That's one out of two. And on this call right now, it's two out of two, right? Like you're sharing your stories. I'm sharing my stories. Mm -hmm. And so it's not them. It's us. And that's what I hoped is that people could really see themselves in the book in a way that made it safe mm. to see yourself in a book that's about addiction. Wow. Well, that is such a beautiful gift. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing it with me and our listeners and the world. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you. 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're so welcome. Okay, listeners, now it is your turn. You are going to check out Dr. Nzinga Harrison's Unaddiction, Six Mind-Changing Conversations That Could Save a Life. It's available now, so please pick it up at your favorite library, independent bookstore, wherever you like to go. Thank you so much for joining us. It's time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode. Thank you.